Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. I'm David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the Tennessee Stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. We step back into the ring, back into time with the Tennessee Stud. Ron Fuller hanging out in the Great Smoky Mountains. What's going on, Ron? How are you, man? Oh, yeah, I'm good, man. Uh, really good. Got a little better day today. Um, little sunshine during the course of the day. Um, just getting ready for the fall, which is, I guess, is only a couple of days away. Real close now. And uh, so uh, just uh, ready to see some leaves start changing. <laughs> That's going to happen here pretty any time now. Hey, here in Southeast Alabama, we're excited about fall. Also, we've kind of mentally already turned the thermometer down. It's it's, it's not it's not working. Uh, but so anyway, it, with, within a couple of weeks, we hope we have some cool mornings and maybe maybe as soon as this weekend. So we're looking forward to that. And the, I don't know if the leaves ever change here, Ron. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, we get a little bit of that up here, thank goodness. You know, and, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen that in uh, 20 years, just about. Spending all that time and down there in Tampa. Hey, I think yeah. you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy being there in the fall, and then watching it change to winter, and then winter back to spring. So I think you're really gonna enjoy because uh, again, you're in the same place, and it's a different different view, different scenery every day. Yes, it is, and that's for darn sure. That's awesome. Hey, let's do this thing, and I've been amazed with the number of fans that are coming to your two hour dinner with the stud at the famous Calhoun's on the River Restaurant in Knoxville. This is going to be huge. What a wonderful idea and a great way to spend some quality time with your fans. And then you're going to be recording it and bringing that event to your Red Hot Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel. So how do you come up with a big idea like this and and these kind of things? Because, listen, this thing could fall flat on your face, but I don't think you're headed in that direction. No, I think uh, I think it's going to be okay, man. Um, you know, it's a really been uh, greatly received so far, and uh, and gosh, I guess I do it out of necessity, Dave. But you know, <laughs> I feel like I owe so much to my fans. I got so many of them, and they're great, and they follow me, and they support me, and uh, and this this idea here is a way to give back. That's kind of the way I look at it. Uh, I only wish I could do it in other cities as well, and uh, you know, who knows that may happen down the line. 
Hey, that would be cool, too. So this dinner with the stud thing is much more than just that. It's a world-class barbecue buffet in one of the best restaurants in America. It's you, Les Thatcher, and your cousin Jimmy Golden, Bunkhouse Buck, greeting fans as they enter. And this idea started with two free autographed 8 by 10 photos, but will now be three, one from each of you that are there that evening. Uh, that's it, Dave. You know, and uh, what I did is uh, I was just going to do autograph picture with one with me and one with Les, but this is getting such good response. I'm going to throw him another autograph picture. I want to have a Jimmy Golan uh, do an autograph picture. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's going to be Jimmy or Bunkhouse Buck, you know, <laughs> but uh, I'll get a, I'll get a photo for the fans and uh, they'll be autographed and then. Uh, you know, the, then they're going to be able to attend, man, the, the first ever live stud cast. All these fans that can show up for this are followed by a one-hour question and answer session from the audience itself. <laughs> and the fans are going to have a chance to be seen uh, asking their questions worldwide on YouTube. That's going to so, be cool. Listen, uh, I know you and Jimmy are close, and you've probably had dinner with him a lot of times. Have you ever had dinner with Jimmy where he was acting like Bunkhouse Buck? Oh, God, I don't know if I'd want to, man. No. Okay. Uh, Jimmy's pretty crude when he does the bunkhouse, but he gets in that yeah. mode, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, I, uh, I think he might, uh, you know, I can't imagine him showing up, actually. Uh, you know, I got to talk to him about that, as a matter of fact. Hmm. Uh, I, I kind of <laughs> hope he don't show up, the Calhoun's on the river, yeah. in the bunkhouse, bunkhouse. Well, all we need is another Stan Hansen with some chaw dripping down his chin. So hopefully that's not going to happen that night. All right, listen, they're also going to be getting, you got some great door prizes that you're going to be doing here. Some extremely valuable vintage programs and magazines, sponsor gifts, and some souvenirs that are going to be available too, plus a cash bar. Hey, I'm in. And all of this is only 30 bucks. The price of three photos alone on your website is worth 45 So you, you're really giving back to your fans, Dud, and I think that's really cool. And plus, the fans can get their seat reserved now on your website. The best way to do it, head over to tnstud.com. It's simple to do while you're listening to the Studcast. Click on Stud Store, find the dinner with the stud, and enjoy a truly unforgettable evening. So when is something like this coming to Alabama, Ron? Well, uh, <laughs> potentially, maybe. Dave, we're going to see. Maybe soon. So you know, let, let's get this one behind us first, you know. And, uh, you know, sounds like you already got your horse, Mr. Pickles, saddled up, man. You know, we hadn't even hardly started the stud cast, man. <laughs> Sound like you're raring to go. Yeah, why not? So this event gets me fired up every time we talk about it. All right, Stud, why don't we why don't we get this ride going? So where are we going to be heading today? Well, this Stud cast is number two seventeen. I don't normally mention the numbers, but uh, you know, I think I may start to do that a little bit so fans are kind of kind of uh, make sure they're listening to the one they think they are. And uh, this one is called the NWA Title Shot War Begins, and uh, I named that because of what happened. Uh, you know. As soon as the National Wrestling Alliance allowed Harley Race to cut the interview and we played it on Southeastern Wrestling, uh, it gave fans the date for the very next title offense there. And uh, in our today's training, uh, we're going to begin with this discussion because this got everything rocking about Harley coming to town and uh, who's going to get him. You know, uh, so 
Uh, we're going to get today's training. It's going to have a little bit of this discussion in it. Uh, in fact, this entire episode going to kind of follow this trail of, uh, you know, the title shot. And uh, that and that title shot is going to be on October 7th, 1977. That's when it was. And Harley was going to return for the Coliseum, the third title defense. Uh, so uh, our, our focus on this studcast also includes the Friday, September 9th, 1977 card. I'm going to be defending the Southeastern title against the world junior heavyweight champion, Nelson Royal. And he was the first challenger to arrive. Going to be several of them. And he's obviously eyeing the upcoming shot at Harley Race. And we're going to discuss the TV promoting the show, the match results, and the attendance, as we always do. we got a great learning tree question today that's going to kind of continue this studcast theme. In fact, uh, the question is, uh, if being the Southeastern champion meant an automatic shot at the NWA world champion, why would any champion defend the Southeastern belt knowing if he lost? Hmm. He would be giving up his chance to win the NWA world title. Well, that is a good question, Stud. So it sounds like uh, it sounds like this episode is going to be a little extra special. So I can't wait to hear all of the intrigue, of course, created by these rare appearances of wrestlers looking for that NWA world champion shot. I guess we're beginning with today's training, and we're going to begin the journey to find out who is going to meet Harley Race on October seventh. 1977 in the Knoxville Coliseum. Well, your guess is absolutely correct, Dave. I mean, today's training, uh, uh, it's going to begin and, uh, with a crazy five-week ride, man, that's going to ultimately lead us into the Coliseum for the Harley race and that next world title defense of his. Uh, so let's start with Southeastern. And why my wrestling company was so unusual when it came to picking the opponent for hmm. world title matches. Mm-hmm. In almost every territory all over the world, the opponent that got the shot at the champion in that territory was almost always from that territory. And I was one of the few owners that uh, believed that allowing stars from other territories to get involved in these title shots and these title matches uh, leading up to the world title, it, it just enhanced the title match itself, and it made the world champion that much more respected and important. Mm-hmm. So... So many bookers, you know, they, they kind of feared too much buildup for a world title match was going to overpower and uh, negatively affect their presently running angles, and it would compromise the size of their crowds following the championship match. I never felt that way. Hmm. I kinda, totally different thinking in my opinion. Well, I kind of doubt that any fans ever really thought about the world title matches in that way, Ryan. So who were some of these wrestlers from other territories that you're talking about that lead up to the 1977 October World Championship match. Some of those you're talking about. Okay, uh, gosh, man, uh, let's start out with one of them from Texas. Oh, yeah. He's, he's already a star in Southeastern, mm-hmm. and he's also the former world champion, and Terry Funk is always in the picture. Yeah, when no Harley surprise. comes to town, or yeah. any world champion comes to town, yeah. Terry believes that he's the guy that ought to get the shot. <laughs> you know, And he's always there and ready. So, and, you know, and obviously he's going to be involved in the next five weeks. Uh, the present world junior heavyweight champion, Nelson Royal, uh, from the Carolinas. Uh, he's actually in this one that we're going to be talking about today. He's, he thinks that he's entitled to a shot. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler, out of the Memphis Territory, southern heavyweight champion. 
He believes he's entitled to it. One of the greatest junior heavyweights in the world from Ireland, a guy named Pat Barrett, who is just absolutely phenomenal. He's going to be involved in it. Uh, the world famous and the former Southeastern star, the assassin, is going to be uh, highly involved in this. Uh, in uh, 1977, Georgia star, Big Bill Dromo, and he's on this card that we're going to be talking about today. He's involved in this. Uh, he's got a chance and a shot at it. So uh, the next five weeks, the lead up to who's going to get the shot at Harley Race, it's got more twists and turns in it than my novel Brutus, man. You know, <laughs> nobody's been able to figure out what's going on in Brutus. Uh, all right, <laughs> I stud. I, got them, I think I got them going in this one, too. Yeah, okay, yeah, you've done it again, absolutely. So now we can't wait to hear what's on the Studcast card. So I think this event was back in the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium again, right? Uh, yep, it certainly was, Dave. You know, man, you're really on it. Uh, it <laughs> opens with Roy Lee Welch against Al Costello. Al Costello was the only man that had beaten Roy Lee uh, in the five weeks that he had been there. Uh, so that's the first match on the card. Uh, Ricky Gibson, who's basically a sleeper hold expert from down in your part of the country, Pensacola, Florida, born and raised, uh, was head to head with another sleeper hold practitioner, the pro, Doug Gilbert. Doug Gilbert. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Doug's got a Doug's got a shot at Ricky Gibson, and uh, somebody's probably going to sleep in that one, I would guess. Uh, the Georgia star I mentioned earlier, <laughs> Big Bill Dromo, he's getting his chance to prove his consideration for being maybe getting the shot at Harley Race, and uh, he's going to get his first Southeastern match against a Mongolian stomper managed by Gorgeous George Jr. Next event is going to be a six-man tag. Bob Armstrong. Jola Duke and Tony Charles are going to face off against Mr. Knoxville. That's Ronnie Garvin with a mask, Bob Orton Jr. and Al Costello. The main event for this one is for the Southeastern Championship. Hmm. And uh, after winning the belt the week before, I'm going to be defending against the world junior heavyweight champion, Nelson Roy. And uh, Nelson had aspirations to do something that had never been done before. He wants to be the first man to hold both the world heavyweight and the world junior heavyweight belts at the same time. All right. That is so cool. So this, this is what you were talking about earlier in today's training rod, bringing in stars from other territories, unusual challengers that help make that the lead up to this world title match, uh, even that more, much more interesting. That's basically it, man. Yeah. That, that's what, uh, that's what I felt as a booker that, uh, you know, it didn't, you didn't have to have just people from your territory involved in these shots. If you brought in other people, it just made it a bigger event. And it just put more interest on the world champion. And it got him over more. Uh, and it got wrestling over more. So uh, you're, you're right about it, Dave. That's, that's <laughs> basically what it is. And you and your horse, Mr. Pick, I think you're ready for the races now, man. Uh, so <laughs> this match is only the beginning of a string of matches that's going to leave everybody wondering. Who is the man that's going to get the shot at Harley Race? <laughs> See, I can tell, and I, I know your listeners can tell too, you are in rare form, Stud. I can't wait to hear what you've got lined up for the TV on Saturday, September 3rd, 1977, that was going to promote the card that you just talked about. 
Well, let's go there, my man. Uh, you know, so let's start at that TV on September 3rd, 1977. And this one is loaded, man. I mean, Les ran down the great card at the beginning of the show, as always. It included a World Junior Heavyweight Championship match on television. Uh, you didn't see that very often any place mm -hmm. in the world. All right. Also, a very unusual six-man tag with the new Southeastern champions, Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Borden Jr., and they're going to be joined by their manager, Al Costello. Six-man tag on TV, World Heavyweight Championship on TV. And uh, obviously, when the cameras backed away from the close-up after Les talked about this, there was uh, Joe LaDuke and Bob Armstrong sitting with him. And behind them on that big old huge set was the still shot of Bob Armstrong in the in, held up in in, in uh, slow motion, uh, but even slower in the still shot of racing across the ring at Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and it showed Al Costello standing on the side of the ring and handing something to Ronnie Garvin. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, as usual, people see that still shot and they got to wonder, you know, what's coming here. Hmm. So both Joe and Bob, they're sitting there and they see it on this set behind them. Um, you know, that it's a bit of font, so you can't see it on the actual screen itself. The, the blue background kind of hides it. So they watch it on the monitor in front of them and they see what the shot is. And they both are shaking their heads like, hey, this is great. They even tell Les, you know, when they get ready to, to roll the video, that, wow, Les, what a great job. This is exactly where we wanted you to put it. And it shows Ronnie Garvin uh, being handed something by Al Costello and uh, Bob Armstrong running across the ring to, to hit him with one of those jaw jackers. And instead, Bob gets his jaw jacked. And uh, down Bob goes. And, uh, mm. and uh, you know, both Bob and Joe, after they see Bob get counted out there, they both agreed that they had really underestimated Al Costello. <laughs> And just how devious the little Aussie was, man, you know, <laughs> and, and they weren't aware that Al Costello had denied them a return match for the titles until that morning at TV. They were notified that you're not going to get a return match. So, you know, and, and they thought that was really bad. They were discussing it. They said, well, you know, that's really crazy because when we won the titles from them last week, uh, within 20 minutes, we gave them a return match said, yeah, we'll give you a return match. But Al Costello says no. So, you know, they were upset and, uh, you know, couldn't hardly blame them. And they, so they had a little discussion after they found out that they weren't going to get a return match for the title with the Southeastern officials. And uh, they asked uh, to have a six-man tag. Said, okay, we want a six-man tag. We want you to put that little Aussie punk jerk in the ring and, uh, and we want to put Tony Charles on our team. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Les told them now that, you know, that, all right, this match was approved. It was part of the card for the following Friday night. And they both high-fived each other, uh, Bob and Joe. Mm -hmm. And the studio was real happy to hear about it. They popped. And uh, Bob finished by saying he definitely got his jaw jacked the night before. But he and Joe LaDuke and Tony Charles, they were going to be doing all the jaw jacking next Friday night. <laughs> You know, so studio crowd, they were still cheering as these two guys departed the set. And uh, but boy, that stuff stopped automatically. I mean, almost immediately, 
was Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr. Uh, had their ta new tag belts on, not their new tag belts, but it's the second time they had won them. And, uh, and Al Costello, their manager, entered the studio, and they're going to have a six-man tag. Al Costello's going to be in the ring with them. First match on TV, six-man tag. They stopped by the set first with less, though, because they wanted to brag about getting their belts back. And, uh, you know, up there in the ring was three unlucky young baby faces, you know, that were about to get introduced. And Mr. Knoxville, Orton, and Costello joined them up there. And, and when they did, the annihilation began. <laughs> and that's about what it was. The extra man in the ring, he just <laughs> gave the mass Garvin and Orton more destruction to take care of. You know, mm -hmm. that third guy. Now they didn't, they couldn't just beat up two guys jump off the top rope, put him in the backbreaker. Now they had a third guy to mess with, too, and they hurt him, too. So in this match, Al Costello never got in the ring, and he didn't have to. I mean, these two guys, they could take care of business. And uh, so the tag champions, uh, they could have beaten four guys at once by themselves. You know, they didn't need Al Costello, but he was in there anyway. So they were flying high, man, and cracking backs, as usual, at the end of it. And all Al Costello <laughs> had to do, really, was to go in the ring when it was all over and raise their hands. The massacre was done, you know. The champions and their manager, they went to the set for the first interview. Bob Armstrong, Joe Duke, and Tony Charles were in Studio B. And the heels went first. Mr. Knoxville, man, he, he started, jumped out, and bragged about how you know, he was the new jawjacker since he putting out the jawjackers lights the night before that. Uh, and they all patted him on the back, both Costello and, and Orton patted him on the back. And then Al Costello reminded Tony Charles of a beating that he gave him 20 years ago in Sydney, Australia, you know, and uh, said something really smart to him about it. He planned on doing it again. Next Friday night, going to give you another beating like I did 20 years ago in Australia. <laughs> and uh, Bob Orton Jr. asked Joe LaDuke if anybody had ever put him in a real backbreaker, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, so Joe wasn't talking back yet, so, you know, uh, Orton wasn't through. And then he said he, he didn't need to ask anybody if he if Joe LaDuke had ever been dropped on his head after a backbreaker. Oh. You know, you know, he <laughs> said that. And he looked around at the other two and he said, obviously he didn't need to because his mama dropped him on his head years ago. <laughs> well, of course. And she did it on purpose. <laughs> so all three of them popped on that one, man. And the crowd boy, they, they didn't much agree with him and they let him know what they thought about it. So, uh, so now the, the, you know, the kind of the gauntlet's been thrown down here, man. So Tony, he answered the challenge that Costello made, you know, and he reminded Al Costello that, when that Sydney match occurred, he was only 17 years old. And he said it was the last time he ever lost to Al Costello, too. And he said uh, that he was now 37 years old and <laughs> in the prime of his life. And he said, poor old Al Costello is as old as dirt and just as nasty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Crowd got him a pop on that one. Yeah, I bet. Joe the Duke's turn, and he turned his message over to Bob Arms, Bob Orton's message. You know, Joe the Duke spoke spoke pretty much straight to Bob Orton Jr. 
In fact, it wasn't exactly straight to him. He, he said he had whipped your daddy. He said, I whipped your daddy, Bob Borden Sr.'s butt, five times in five nights in the Montreal Territory years ago. He said, uh, he said your poor old daddy was five times as good in the ring as his piss-poor son is. <laughs> and he said, you know, he said, I really can't wait to get baby Junior here in my bear hug next Friday night. He said, I'm going to squeeze his diaper full of baby poop. <laughs> oh, God. I've got him another <laughs> so, so, no, Oh, Bob, you know, he's not to be left out, man. So he was ready to retaliate to Mr. Ronnie Garvin's comment about uh, being the new jawjacker. Yeah. And he said something <laughs> about Garvin was, he said, Garvin's much more a lip smacker than a jawjacker. <laughs> <laughs> he said, come next Friday, he was going to double jawjack the lip smacker. And he said, then he's going to remove his Knoxville, Mr. Knoxville mask. And he said he was going to prove he was really Ronnie Garvin underneath that mask. And that he had no business even being in Southeastern wrestling because he'd already lost a loser league town match way, way back. And he lost it to his own partner. He said he got beat by his own partner. How humiliating is that? <laughs> you know, and he says, so, and he says, then when I pull that mask off of him, he says, then the Southeastern fans can all wave goodbye to Ronnie Garvin, the Canadian <laughs> crackerjacker and lip smacker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And then the pop turned into an explosion on that. But I mean, <laughs> these boys were really ready for it. So, second TV match was the first wrestler from another territory that had sights on the NWA world title. And he was Big Bill Dromo from Georgia Championship Wrestling. My brother and I had made many trips when we started wrestling in 1970. Uh, Rob before me, but uh, we went a lot from about May of 1970 into the early part of the fall, riding up and down the road a lot with Bill Dromo, who was a tremendous wrestler. Uh, this was in 1970. We were just rookies, and Bill was always on the main events. We were the first match, second match. He was always on the main events, and he was still a big star in Georgia seven years after that. So he was booked to meet the Mongolian Stomper the following Friday night. Stomper was, at this point, a pretty angry man. You know, he just lost his belt to me the night before, and any win over the Stomper, made you a contender for Harley Race. So it was a great place for uh, Big Bill Dromo to get a start in Southeastern and try to get a leg up on uh, getting that match with Harley Race. And Big Bill was called that because he was about 6'4 and weighed about 275. Wow. You know, he was a big dude, you know, and he had been to Knoxville before years earlier, but this was the first time he'd ever wrestled for Southeastern. And uh, he was on this TV match, this very next TV match. And, boy, he made pretty quick work of Tony Peters, who was another guy that weighed over 300 pounds. So Dromo was, was set with Les. You know, he went to the set and uh, for the second interview, Gorgeous George Jr. and the Mongolian Stomper. They were in Studio B, and uh, Dromo was always a good could good talker he was good on the mic and he made an impressive interview about being here to get the shot at harley race you know he made points about realizing uh in order to get there he needed to win over someone strong somebody that meant something somebody like the stomper <laughs> you know and that beating the stomper could get him a match with me for the southeastern championship and if he won with me he was in the boat 
to to, to you know to go with against Harley Race. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Gorgeous George Jr. Now, when it came his turn to talk, he, he was not so impressed, you know, and he told the fans his history of, of Bill Dromo, the history of Bill Dromo, according to the gorgeous George Jr. He said, you know, he's nothing but a middle of the card guy from an inferior wrestling territory down there in Georgia, <laughs> you know, and he admitted his stomper was very upset about losing the belt the night before. And Big Bill Dromo was going to pay the price for that loss. His Stomper is going to take it out on Dromo. And that a win over Dromo should put Stomper back in line mm. for a Southeastern title shot. Mm-hmm. At that stinking Fuller Punk, I think, <laughs> something like that. And when when the Stomper wins that, yeah. the NWA World Title match is back in the picture. <laughs> that's, I can't... Uh, I can't I, that's what I always call you. That that stinking fuller punk. That's <laughs> yeah. That's my nickname. <laughs> All right. All right. That's good stuff. But look, I saw Bill Drummo wrestle way back in the day in the Gulf Coast territory, and I thought he was a really good athlete. And what I would like to have seen a match between him and the Stomper. But I tell you what. In the meantime, this is a good place. Let's take a let's take a break right here, Ron. We're going to come back with a personality profile, but before we do, don't forget Southeastern Rewind. Southeastern Rewind. You can find it on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on Ron's YouTube channel, and make sure you tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. Okay, the personality profile is here when we come back on this studcast. The stud spoke briefly in this studcast about picking the opponent for Harley Race, having more twists and turns than his novel Brutus. That was an exaggeration, of course. Anyone that has read his phenomenal lion story has taken a thrilling journey and discovered the creativity of a brilliant mind. Amazon.com Brutus Novel, or get an autograph copy at tnstud.com Click Stud Store. Ron weaves a powerful story that takes place on three continents, but tragically ends in the busiest national park in America. It's one of the most compelling, heart-pounding novels of all time. More than 50 five-star reviews, many comparing it to Jaws, cannot be wrong. His wrestling storytelling is incomparable. His Brutus is absolutely amazing. Do yourself a favor that you will not regret. Get Brutus on Amazon.com, Brutus Novel, or the special autograph copy from the Stud Store at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store. Find Brutus, only $29.99. That includes shipping. TNStud.com. TNStud.com. Open 24-7, 365. Hey, everybody. Welcome back in. David Summers with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller, on another impressive studcast. All right, Stud, we're back, and you promised another personality profile. Let's get to it. Okay, uh, let's do it, my man. Uh, the man I'm going to be uh, facing the following Friday night uh, after this television is going to be the world junior heavyweight champion, Nelson Roy. And, and in my opinion, uh, Nelson Roy was probably one of the most underrated junior champions of all time. He, Nelson Roy was a tough competitor, but uh, he had changed a lot. Uh, since he had been there in 1975 with Southeastern when he was a really good guy. Fans loved him. So, you know, he and Les Thatcher, uh, you know, 
they'd been friends for many years. So uh, Royal had wrestled many times as a babyface team. In fact, with Les in the in the early the years of Southeastern in 1975 uh, in particular, and Les began the profile with a great introduction of his of his friend, which you know he was uh, expected, you know, and uh, then he ended up with a question about how things had been going lately, you know, a simple, nice little, polite introduction, and uh, so. But after that, after that question, you know, it was about the only thing Les was going to get to ask the rest of the profile. And so Nelson Royal, uh, fans found out real quick, had become a nasty heel man since winning the World Junior Heavyweight title two years earlier. And he answered Les's question with a statement uh, saying, you know, uh, uh, you know, Les had said, has has things been going lately? And basically he said, oh, life's been great. He said, but... But unlike you, Les, he said, uh, I've become a winner and unbeatable because, <laughs> because uh, you know, uh, and that, <laughs> you know, that's too bad that you you never found out how to do that in your career. Oh, <laughs> I figured it out, you know. Oh, my and God. He, and then he just continued on. Uh, you know, Dave's <laughs> Les's mouth almost fell open. Like, <laughs> that's a pretty horrible thing to say. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, you know, and then Gordon and then uh, Nelson went on, you know, and he told it, he told the tale about discovering how great he was. And, uh, and it's just about the, about the time he quit wrestling partners with the losers like Les that he started getting great. <laughs> he said, yeah, he, he said he'd been undefeated in the last two years. And, uh, now he was on a create a crusade a, to do something. No wrestler in history had ever done. And he was going to as, attack the heavyweights in the sport, the big uh. names in the sport. Anything it took to get the shot at the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Harley Race. Mm. Mm. So, so uh, how 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 did he? Uh, what all did he have to do to get there? He said, "I, I got to just beat Ron Fuller, uh, you know, piece of cake, mm. uh, successfully defend <laughs> the Southeastern title, maybe two times in the next five weeks, and then I'm going to make wrestling history." He says, I'm going to be the only wrestler in the history of the sport to hold both the World Junior Heavyweight Championship and the World Heavyweight Championship at the same time. <laughs> and he said, uh, and that wrestling history is going to officially start right here in Knoxville, Tennessee, next Friday when I beat Ron Fuller. And it's going to be completed a month later when I beat Harley Race. Was he... Goes, was he feeling delusional that day? What, 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 well, what? I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, I'm sure Les was really having a hard time. Yeah, out. In fact, Les seemed very surprised. You know, he's still sitting there and his mouth is still almost open, you know, and he's like, you know, is this the Nelson Royal I know? You know, he couldn't believe how cocky, you know, Nelson Royal had become. So Les asked, you know, you know, and now he'd been insulted a little bit and he, he kind of got a little harder question for for Nelson to answer, and he asked him if he seriously thought he could compete with heavyweights, especially some of the best in the world, like there were a lot of guys in Southeastern, some of the best heavyweights in the world, you know. Can you think, Nelson, that you can compete with them? And Royal got, <laughs> he got hot. <laughs> I mean, he stood up, and uh, he looked down his nose as Les, who's still sitting in his personality profile chair, and uh 
And, uh, you know, Les is kind of bum-fuzzled here, man. He, he's, wait a minute, this profile can't be over this early, you know, and he, he was expecting the profile to go longer. Mm-hmm. And Nelson told Les that, you know, that statement you just made about me not being able to compete with big men, he said, you know, that's exactly why me and you are no longer friends. He said, because uh, Les, you, you think like a loser, and uh, with that train of thought, you're never going to be nothing but a loser. <laughs> God. <laughs> so and he told us that, that now no one, nor nobody was going to stand in his way, that he finally realized he was the best wrestler in the world, no matter what he weighed. Didn't make any difference. He said, I got a bigger heart, and I'm more determined than any man. I don't care how much bigger they are than I am, and, and I'm not ever going to lose again. So you know, Les, Les, Les comes back with one more try, and he says, uh, you know, Nelson, you, you've really changed a lot over the last two years. He goes, I'm beginning to wonder if we're still friends. Hmm. So Royal unclipped. He's been standing there looking down at him, and he finished, reached up there and unclipped the microphone co- that clips your collar. Yeah. And, and he says to Les, you know, he says, I'm a man on a mission. He goes, I don't have any friends, Les. I don't need any friends. He, and, he, and then he dropped the microphone on his empty chair and with a crack, you know, and yeah. the studio crowd exploded in booze, and he walked off the set. So, so Les wow. sitting there by himself, right? And he's pretty obviously upset. So he looks into the camera, and he says, you know, um, to the fans out there watching, he says, you know, we're going to find out. In the, in the last TV match, in just a few minutes to, today, uh, just how good Mr. Royal has become. You know, he says he's going to be facing a, a pretty darn good junior heavyweight named Ricky Gibson right here on this on, in this ring. And he goes, uh, and it's going to be for the World Heavyweight Championship. He says, I can't wait to see it. Okay. All right, so that's crazy, Ron, and that's a great personality profile. As usual, of course, you've got to set a, you've got to set up for the last match of the day that is going to be something pretty special. It seems like. Well, you know, I guess I, I, I was thinking at this point, man, from sitting upstairs and watching this personality profile, that that I didn't think many people were going to turn the channel, man, after <laughs> this. No, you know, they got no. this coming up, you know. Exactly. So Exactly. Uh, yeah. I kind of had the ball rolling at this point. So so uh and I and I still had uh, I still had the card up my sleeve, man. I had the irate stomper, man, who had lost the night before, uh ready to hit the ring <laughs> and he did, man, right after the profile. And he invaded that ring. There was two poorly prepared opponents where everybody was poorly prepared for the stomper. And uh, and said, old gorgeous George come running along behind him on his way to the ring. And stomper, my gosh, wow. He just annihilated those poor boys. And, uh, and Gigi, uh, you know, at the end of it, I thought, you know, well, that's enough. Stomper, you ought to go ahead and cover him. And Gigi, he hadn't seen enough. He demanded his stomper. He said, no, I want him to bleed. I want to see him bleed. <laughs> and the stomper happily complied. He, he, you know, he bounced off the ropes and stomped him in the face a few times, and all of a sudden they were all both bloody. And uh, finally, he pinned them mercifully. And uh, then the stomper and uh, GG they went to the set before Les could cue the commercial break. 
<laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know they, and they passed by the set, and uh, GD screamed at Les. He goes, uh, what do you think of the new stomper? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, right. You know, he said, everybody better get ready, because all hell's about to break loose here at Thatcher. <laughs> Oh no doubt. The TV is absolutely rocking. So what so what happens next? Well, there was a very rare interview with the the two wrestlers from the second match uh on a on a six match card. You know, uh, uh this card was a great example of where Southeastern was at this point, man. Uh, we had, we had two guys that didn't wrestle on TV. Uh one of them's about to, you know, but uh and it was it was a testament to where Southeastern was at this point. Uh, we had so much great talent. Any of these guys could have been in the main event. This is the second match out of six matches, and these two guys are doing an interview. They could have been the main event in a lot of cities all across America. So the next Friday night, it was the Red Hot Pro, Doug Gilbert, who was a great athlete, uh, the ragdoll man, I call him, uh, and he was wrestling a fan favorite that had just returned to Southeastern a couple of weeks earlier, Ricky Gibson. And Ricky was maybe even better than his brother, Robert Gibson, who's a future, you know, he was a rock and roll tag team with one all, geez, he just about in every Hall of Fame. His brother made the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And Ricky, I think, was maybe a better worker than his brother, Robert. Hmm. So the studio was all fired up by now. Man, and Ricky's at the set with Les. And the pro was in Studio B. And Les started out with Ricky. But the pro interrupted from the other studio. He didn't give him a chance to get started. And he welcomed Ricky to Southeastern. And he said, you know, I'm surprised that it's taking you so long to get here. He goes, you know. He says, the fans here probably don't know about it, but, you know, uh, in Kansas City about a year ago, I broke your leg. Remember that, Ricky? <laughs> and then he said uh, he was sure that Ricky hadn't forgotten it. And then he looked forward to breaking the other one next Friday. He was going to break the other one next Friday. And wow. Fans were surprised in the studio, obviously, to hear this. They didn't know there was any problem between these two. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ricky had only been there about three weeks. And so... The pro obviously enjoyed, they roundly booed him, man. They booed him, and he liked it. Uh, that's what he wanted. So Ricky was waiting to respond. He reminded the pro of how, hum how he had humiliated the pro. He beat him with his own hold because both these guys use a sleeper hold. He beat him with his own hold in Kansas City in the Kemper Arena before 10,000 fans. And he goes, do you remember that? and that he had come back to Southeastern exclusively for this match with this guy. He said, but, you know, that he said, Les, he goes, I come in today, you know, and he says, I'm not, well, happy to see I'm going to be wrestling against the pro. And he goes, but they come to me and they ask me would I like to wrestle for the World Junior Heavyweight Championship on TV? He goes, <laughs> I, he goes, wow. He goes, what what kind of day is this for me? He goes, oh my gosh, I got a chance to be world champion. You know, and uh, so the fans got into the fact that this poor, you know, uh, underdog kind of, is he got a shot at the world title here, you know? And uh, so, you know, he Les said, hey, I wish you luck next Friday night, and I wish you luck here today. <laughs> and he really meant it now after <laughs> the way that Nelson Royal has downed him so bad, you know. So, uh, you know, he said, I, I wish you luck, man. And he headed for the ring. And then, uh, wow, now now the studio is really cranked, man. Mm -hmm. Everything is 
pointed toward this match and the stage is really set. Wow. So, I mean, it seems to me like you've really got it going on this particular TV stud. So what happened in the world junior title match? Well, the first three matches in the show had been short. So, you know, we had, luckily we had time for this match because, uh, Gosh, Ricky Gibson was a fantastic wrestler, and then Nelson Royal, too, you know. So I was always really happy when you got enough time for a big match like this. Uh, and if we had a standby match, we usually had a standby match. In case this match didn't go, you always had the next match you could throw into the ring to finish out the show. But uh, we didn't need it. There was about 15 minutes left in this match, and I think it was the only the world title match we ever had on Knoxville television uh, in Southeastern. It, it was, and what a fantastic match this was. Nelson Royal had so much heat from the personality profile, and Ricky Gibson at this point was at the height of his career. He was really, really good. So uh, Ricky took it to Nelson Royal, man, right from the beginning of the match. In fact, he was ahead of Royal for the entire match. Every time Royal set him up for something, Ricky reversed it. It was like Ricky was the world champion rather than Nelson. And the longer the match went, the more the studio got fired up and the louder they got because they began to see that this kid may beat him. You know, and after the about the 10-minute mark, Ricky got several near pinfalls on him. On Royal and a uh, Royal finally uh, jumped out of the ring a couple of times to get his composure back. And uh, once he finally got back in the ring and got his composure, he uh, he stopped Ricky and he 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 boy he really attacked him viciously, man. I mean this this he threw some real heavy duty punches and kicks to the face. Mm. And he did it was it was nasty, you know. And then he had Gibson beaten real close to it, down and out, and they. And uh, he started trying to pin him, and Gibson kicked out, and he kicked out, and he kicked out. And every time he kicked out, the fans got with him even harder and even stronger. And they began that old chant to go, Ricky, go, man. And uh, all of a sudden, Ricky started to come back on him, man. Clock's about to run out of time, and the you know, studio is on his feet. And Royal was fired, uh, Ricky. You know, uh, Royal got fired in the ropes. Ricky, uh, you know, he grabbed a headlock on Ricky. Ricky shot him in the ropes. And when he came off, uh, Ricky leapfrogged him. And Royal went underneath him just fine. But when Ricky landed, he landed on his right leg. And it gave way. You could see it in his knee, right about his knee. And he went down. And uh, it was the same leg that the pro had broken the year before, oddly enough. And uh, so Royal came flying off the ropes from the other side. And there's Ricky laying there screaming, you know. And uh, Royal just stopped standing over top of him, basically. And uh, and uh, so did the studio stop, you know, the cheering. I mean, that whole place went dead silent. It's like, oh, my God, he's hurt. And, you know, Gibson lay, lay there, and he was holding his knee, and he was, he was screaming. He was in pain. And the referee went to Ricky, and he checked his knee out. And then uh, he asked him if he could continue. And, uh, you know, uh, I could tell from upstairs he wasn't going to continue. He's done. So uh, at that time, the pro came down to the ring. Hmm. So the referee went to Royal, which is which is kind of what happened in, in a situation like this. And he basically asked him if, uh, hey, look, he's hurt his leg, and uh, I'm willing to raise your hand, and we'll just stop the match, and this will be the end of it. And the, the pro screamed out to Royal. He heard the conversation, 
And he goes, no, he goes, no, break his leg, break his leg. Wow. And also the God. studio, they, know, they hear all this too. I mean, it's, you know, pro screaming as loud as he can. The studio, boy, they started booing, man. So Royal just smiled at pro. And the camera caught the smile, just smiled at him, boy, and here he went, man. He just started kicking the heck out of Ricky's leg, you know, and, Oh, Ricky's laying there. He's helpless anyway. And the referee signal for the bell, you know, and he tried to stop Nelson. Then Nelson just threw him aside and the referee went flying out of the ring. And uh, then uh, he went back to stomping Ricky's leg and, uh, and the pro started coming in the ring about that time. Well, when Ricky hurt his leg, I was up top in the control room. I, I left. I went down to the studio. You know, like, gosh, what are we going to do here, man? Uh, you know, and I arrived at the studio and the referee was uh, already thrown out of the ring. The pro had started in to help Royal. And, uh, you know, they were both starting to stomp on Ricky's leg. You know, So I jumped in the ring and I grabbed the throw, the, the pro, and I threw him over the top rope and uh, kind of squared off with Nelson Royal. You know, like, hey, okay, come on, you know, I ain't hurt. Let's do it. You know, and uh, wow, there was a little much. Got us some pandemonium in the crowd. Fans were ready for it. And uh, they had moved up to the apron of the ring. They were so ready for it. And the policeman that was in charge of the crowd, he had to come to ringside, start to try to set people back down. And and uh, about that point, Nelson just shot out of the ring. And uh, the pro raised his hand out there and they presented him his belt. You know, he hadn't lost his belt. He'd just been disqualified. And, you know, crowd erupted in booze. But, you know, he really hadn't been in disqualified yet. So, uh, you know, uh, the pro raised his hand. They gave him his belt. And then, uh, you know, the referee got back in the ring and he raised Ricky Gibson's hand. And the crowd cheered then, uh, you know, because he disqualified, obviously, Nelson Royal for doing what he did. Mm -hmm. uh, kid being hurt accidentally. The crowd obviously really enjoyed that part of it. So I went to the set. Nelson Royal went into Studio B and he started off. By giving me a stern warning <laughs> that I, I should never, ever get involved in one of his matches again. And that the next Friday night, that I was just going to be a stepping stone on his way to becoming the most famous wrestler in the history of wrestling. That nothing was going to deny him his destiny at this point. You know, he had the match with me. He was going to win the match with me. He was going to get the match with Harley. He was going to win Harley's world title. He was going to keep his world title. And if I was smart, I wouldn't even show up next Friday for the match. So, wow. you know, obviously mm -hmm. I told him, well, that wasn't about to happen. It came my turn, you know, and, uh, and that, uh, you know, somebody needed to put him in his place. And, <laughs> and I was, I was one of the guys I thought could do it that I think I can put you in your place, Nelson Royal. And I added that, you know, uh, Nelson, you're, you're way past 40, <laughs> you know, and uh, I said, your day's done. Don't you know that? Your day's done. I said, if you were going to accomplish this, you should have done it 20 years ago. I said, you ain't going to get it done now. And, uh, you know, I told, uh, I told the fans, I said, you know, I can't imagine getting beat by him and the Southeastern fans having him as your champion. I said, I I'll never let that happen. I couldn't let that happen. I, I love y'all. I owe you too much. You know, and I said, uh, you know, and much less, you know, uh, imagine if he if he did that. He said, 
uh, I can't imagine you having to come and watch him wrestle Harley Race. <laughs> like, uh, wow, who's going to come to see that? You know, <laughs> so that Friday night was, uh, I told him, I said, you know, next Friday night's going to be the end of the road for Nelson Royal's quest to be both world champions at the same time. And then I threw in a little bit on the end. I was having a good time, man. And I said, I, I knew Nelson Royal had a ranch in North Carolina, and he had lots of horses. You know, and, and, I, and I, I said, Nelson, uh, I said, I bet you don't have a Tennessee stud on your ranch, though, do you? Uh-huh. I said, you know, and I said, and, and as a man, he said, and if I said, if you had a horse, you probably wouldn't be good enough to call him the Tennessee stud. And I said, but as a man, I said, you're not going to be able to handle this Tennessee stud next Friday night. I said, uh, I'm going to whip your ass, Nelson Royal, for everybody in this crowd here and everybody at home. And I slammed my fist down on the desk, which Les always hated, and I left the set. All right, so I got a I got a pretty good idea that the studio popped on that one, Stud. All these TV shows have been just absolutely amazing lately. So what happened the following Friday night, Ron? Well, he got off to a great start. Uh, Roy Lee Welch, uh, wow, man, he, he stood him up again, man, on the first match. Uh, he, he he wrestled uh, against Al Costello and uh, – God, he got the heck beat out of him for 95% of the match. Uh, and at the very end, he made an almost impossible comeback from an utter defeat, uh, you know. And somehow, miraculously, he ends up with the abdominal stretch on Al Costello in the middle of the ring. Whoa. You know, I mean, and uh, and Costello gives up, <laughs> you know. And the, the baseball stadium erupted, man. Uh, it couldn't have been any louder if Roy, Roy Lee Welch had hit a home run in the World Series there, man. Sweet. I mean, That's awesome, yeah. They just exploded. Like, wow, he'd beat the world champion, you know? I was like, well, this is unbelievable. I just kept being amazed at what was happening with Roy Lee. And then Ricky Gibson arrived at the ring in the second match against the pro, and he's wearing a knee brace. You know, from the six weeks, uh, six days earlier injury there on TV. And in spite of his injury, he managed to pull out a draw, a 20-minute time limit draw. It's the second match of the night. Don't have a very long time limit. And, uh, you know, the fans really rewarded him, man. They knew he was hurting. And you could tell he was hurting. And a pro kept going for that leg and going for that leg. But the fans win when that bell finally saved him. Uh, they they got a standing ovation, man, from a big, huge crowd. It was it was it was it got me gave me a little goosebumps, man, just watching it. The Mongolian Stomper, man, he proved his right, to, you know, to still be considered for the upcoming NWA World Title shot. He absolutely destroyed Big Bill Dromo from you know from the Georgia Territory. I mean, wow, the Stomper was, and they roared and they blew their horns. And uh, and he, it, they did not have the same effect that they did on the nights I was. I, I don't think they blew him quite as loud. or got quite as loud, but but uh, the stomper did was kind of the old stomper. He was kind of back to being a little bit of the old stomper. And the the six man tag with Bob Armstrong, Joe LaDuke, and Tony Charles against Mister Knoxville, Ronnie mm-hmm. Garvin under the mask, Bob Orton Jr. and Costello. It was an all-out war, man. <laughs> the referee had to stop the match at the end of it, and uh, 
it was probably at least 30 minutes of all six of them being in the ring at the same time. Wow. He couldn't wow. get control. He never really got control of the match. So I decided, let's bring it back again, man, and uh, let's make it a six-man tag again. But the next week, let's make it a Texas Tornado Death Match. Have them all in the ring on purpose for the entire Oh, match. yeah. Okay. And have death match rules. So I got one match already in the book for next week. And uh, and I won the Southeastern Championship. I defended my title over the world champion, Nelson Royal. It was a hard, pretty hard-fought match, man. And uh, But the fans were really into it. And uh, so it was about a 45-minute match. It was a long match. And, uh, boy, when I finally put the leg lock on him, that roof came off that old baseball stadium. Uh, people really, really were glad to see his butt get beat. And, uh, and I was still obviously in line for the title shot with Harley Race four weeks later. All right. That's pretty awesome. So what? Uh, it had to be a huge crowd. What was it like, Stud? Well, last week it was it was over 4,000. Uh, this time it was close to 5,000. Uh, you know, it was another record for the baseball stadium for any event for the year. Uh, 4,000 last week was a record, and this one, you know, it eclipsed that one pretty heavily, and uh, and uh, and the fair was still in town, so I was really pleased with it. We were we were maintaining uh, five thousand, or just about to get to five thousand in a bad part of town in a baseball stadium that nobody liked to go to, <laughs> and the fair in town as well. So I thought, wow, this is a pretty big night. Yeah, I mean, with all of those events happening at the at the same time, that's kind of your luck. But it seems like you did really well. A great stud cast so far, Ron. I think it's time for, why don't we get that cold drink, get a seat under the learning tree. So set it up for us. Who asked the question and what was it once again? Well, Robert Lavery was the gentleman's name. He asked if being the Southeastern champion meant you had an automatic shot at the NWA world champion, why would any champion defend the belt Knowing if he lost, he would be giving up his chance to be the NWA champion. <laughs> I mean, right off the top of my head, you know, it's a great question. I mean, you know, uh, it's 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 fairly obvious in a way, but uh, you know, knowing what the business was all about, you know, I, I can really only think of one reason, uh, Robert, that I can I can give you, you know, that. Uh, that uh, you would lose, you know, or that you would give, that you would even wrestle somebody when you knew you were going to lose, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's because every champion, uh, he knew it was, it was going to be his job to defend the belt. You win the belt, you got to defend it. You can't just be the champion and go out there 50 nights in a row and carry your belt and never defend it. Why not? You know, well, yeah, and that's what it sounds like Robert is yeah. thinking here yeah. in his question. You know? So, yeah, I mean, you're the champion. you got to defend the belt. That's just part of being champion. But, you know, and you don't defend it not necessarily because you want it, but because you've been picked to wear it by the owners of the company. Right. And every defense of it meant that they made more money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how they made money was – picking you and saying you're going to defend it and when you do you're going to make us money and uh, you know and uh, they that that's why they gave you the belt right yeah, so yeah so if you weren't ready to lose it when you were told to uh robert uh you were never going to get it hmm. it was as simple as that <laughs> why can't you be more to the point stud so <laughs> 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 listen that's another great stud cast right there <laughs> 
There it is, folks. Another one in the book. And on Facebook, to become friends with the stud, go to the Ron Fuller Tennessee Stud page or the author Ron Fuller Welch page. Simply follow him on either of those pages and you become friends with a legend. On Twitter, it's Ron Fuller Welch. You can also go to his website at tnstud.com and find everything related to the stud. All studcast. Super Studcast, the Stud Store with all kinds of souvenirs and dinner with the Stud tickets as well. His fantastic Brutus novel and so much more at tnstud.com. Any final thoughts, Ron, about what's happening this week on your Red Hot Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel? Well, yeah, man. Uh, gosh, it, it's really kind of on fire, man. Uh, you know, the USA TV shows are getting cranked now. I mean, uh, you know, with those shows, you had small crowds in the studio. You had small crowds in the Coliseum. Now, we yeah, number six just ran this past week. And uh, number six had, ter- had Terry Bam Bam Gordy on the TV live, uh, Bill Dundee, uh, the bullet, uh, Ron Wright, the Mongolian stomper, Moondog, party boys, Hector Guerrero, buddy Landell, RPMs. I mean, there's a lot of great talent and, uh, fans are beginning now to know these people. And the same thing is happening that happened when they originally aired these shows, the audience started getting bigger. And, uh, each one of these shows now have more and more people watching them. Uh, I think they're all great shows, but each one gets a little better because you're six episodes in now. So you've got all the bugs out of the production, and now you've just got to give them great matches and great talent. Uh, Also on the Southeastern Rewind, uh, second Southeastern Sweet Spot special is going to air this week. Going to try to get it up this week. Hmm. Hope to this week. And this one, Dave, is going to be that old historic blockbusting angle from 1977 with Joel Duke and the Mongolian Stomp. Oh, you mean literally blockbusting? The literally blockbusting <laughs> people are going to see this. Yeah. Anybody that has never seen this, anybody that has is going to want to come back and see it again. Yeah. And those that haven't are going to just, <laughs> you're going to freak out. You're going to never see anything like this from any other territory anywhere in the world. Wow. And then, and as always, uh, every Sunday, we put up a new USA TV show, number seven, going to come up this next Sunday. And uh, we're going to have two more original stud casts come out this week. And uh, some more of those awesome tell me more shows that me and you are doing, Dave, that fans are so much enjoying. Uh it's, uh, it's really going great. I uh, mean, there's a lot of stuff on there now, and it's just going to be uh, continuing that way. All right, that's awesome. So don't forget to subscribe now, if you have not already, to Ron's new home, Southeastern Rewind, on YouTube. And remember to ring the bell and get the best in old-school wrestling every time we ring your bell with something new. Your world is rocking, Ron. So how are you going to... How are you going to rock ours next week? Well, man, we're going to move ever closer, obviously, to the return of the NWA champion, Harley Race. And uh, therefore, uh, what we did today, uh, this world title shot war that I called this episode, it's actually going to continue because, uh, you know, we're still a few weeks away from Harley getting there. And, uh, and I'm defending the Southeastern belt again. 
uh, in this next one. And this time, the invaders coming out of the Memphis Territory. I'm going to be wrestling the legendary Jerry the King Lawler, the Southern champion, for my championship and for this shot at Harley Race, if he can beat me. You know, and I'll be giving more lessons on professional wrestling in another today's training, and I'll be answering the question again in uh, the learning tree. And uh, I want to thank everybody out there, Dave, uh, you know, that, you know, for their support of what I do. My gosh, I, you know, I, I, I got, I, I can't help but be humble about the fact that so many people enjoy what I do. And I have the greatest fans in the world. And, uh, and I certainly appreciate it to each and every one of you out there. And please tell your friends about us and uh, take care of yourselves and others. And as always, may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.